You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, the votes are in. Hit me with it. Hit you with it. So for all uh, listeners out there, the last episode with Mrs. Jones on the big book shrapnel, she threw a challenge out to the audience to uh, translate a term that we took out of a story that said remorse would be on me like a tiger. So that's the, the statement out of the book and it translates into the guilt would hit me hard, bruh. Ah. So we, <laughs> she liked the translation, I think. So we put it out to the audience and we had votes come in on Insta page, Facebook, Twitter. Actually, it's not Twitter. It's X. Elon called us and told us to start using the right word. You're already getting controversial. Yeah, already getting controversial. But anyway, it was uh, it was not even a close um, vote. Eighty percent of the listeners that voted wanted to keep remorse would hit me like a tiger. Yes. And All they right. Wanted to, there you go. They, they wanted to scrap the guilt would hit me hard, bro. So. As usual, no translation of the book yet. And now we just need to start using remorse was on me like a tiger. Yeah, you got to start saying that. Absolutely. Requirement. Yep. Yep. On me like a tiger. Hey, we got a great episode today. We got a great guest. Guest comes from Rockland, California. His name is Matt. This is the original Northern California, Rockland, California. Matt, how are you? Good. Uh, good. How are you? Yeah, doing well, doing well. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, cancer. I love to uh, love uh, sports. No, uh, uh, Matt, alcoholic. <laughs> uh, he I, learns. Uh, he's picking up quick. Yeah. Yep. I, uh, it's Rock Lynn, California. There's no D. Just, you know, save you the correction next week. Um and uh, sobriety date May 18th, 2001. Uh, my home group is the 60 Minute Solution Group in Orangevale, California, which is uh, technically just below the line for Northern California. So that's still in the Sacramento area. So we're mm-hmm. we're the next county mm-hmm. over. That's too okay. bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and um, yeah, I mean, um, so the show notes say to a brief description of my last drink, and it actually um, was not very heroic. Um, had I known that I was going to have to tell this story, um, you know, <laughs> countless times over the next few decades, I would have tried to yeah. make it more badass. But unfortunately, um, I my last drink was in my brother's room 
Uh, we were watching the movie Boondock Saints, which we had go, had to go to several blockbusters in Northern Virginia to find it. Nice. And I was finishing the rest of a 12-pack of Budweiser, and I gave him the last one, and he said, you don't want it. I said, no, nah, man, I got to wake up early for rehab tomorrow. And, um, <laughs> that's kind of how it went. I mean, uh, you know, uh, just for the sake of time, I mean, uh, what had got me to that point was, um, man, I don't know, over the, the years leading up to that, I had kept going in and out of, um, you know, fresh starts and waking up to tell myself, like, you know, I got to do something different. This time's going to be different, you know, waking up like humiliated or broke or unemployed or homeless or, you know, a combination of all those things. You know, I would go on these runs and I would come to kind of in that in that spot and um uh, and I would tell myself something's got to be, you know, I'm going to do things differently this time. And then I would try to implement, you know, whatever, whatever path I had set out to make things different, you know, whether it be not drinking on the weekdays or, you know, uh, swearing off tequila, no more crack, that kind of stuff. Uh, I tried all these different things and, um, you know, the same thing would happen over and over and over again, where I would find myself, uh, drinking again, drinking what seemed to be consequence free. And then that would just start the process into, into the next, you know, leading up to the next, you know, fresh start. Right. And what ended up happening was a couple months prior to going into rehab, uh, I had had a night where um, all of those, all, my path had fallen apart again. My, my plan for control had fallen apart and I had a pretty uh, low class weekend in, uh, in DC and, um, and I came to in the afternoon and uh, told myself, you know, this I've got to do something different. You know, I've got to I've got to you know make a change. It was just like so many other mornings. And uh, this thought in the back of my mind was, you know, came after that and was like, it's never going to be any different. It's always going to be like this. You're never going to change. You know, and I suppose that could be a depressing thought, but it kind of prompted this idea of maybe I need to go to rehab. I don't know. I mean, I, I had heard of AA and all that stuff. And, you know, this isn't a rehab talk. Rehab's just sort of where I got the introduction, you know? Right. And, um, and that started the process into me getting sober. And in between that, that day of calling up the rehab and the day of going into rehab, just, you know, we had a couple, we had the holidays, had a couple months of just, uh, you know, drinking and, you know, getting as high as I wanted because at this point I was going into rehab I figured there was no point in stopping, you know. Sure. Yeah. Right. Let it rip. The rehab the rehab had us going to this waiting list group thing and we would go there uh weekly and check in. I honestly can't remember what the point of it was, but they would give us <laughs> an office. And I just remember thinking like I you know, I never passed any of them because I'm going into rehab, obviously I'm getting high, you know. Like it just didn't make sense to me. But I guess they were trying to uh develop a community and implement some sort of structure. I mean, I really don't know. And they encouraged me to go to meetings and I just didn't think I needed that. I think I just needed to go to, go to rehab, do my nine days, stay straight for about another nine months. And then after that, I would revert back over the line that I had crossed from control with seemingly controllable drinking and uncontrollable drinking. I could go back to what seemed like controllable drinking and just like, you know, kind of avoid whatever pitfalls had gotten me there in the first place, you know, maybe just do some crack on the weekends. Um, 
And, you know, fortunately, I went to AA and rehab made me go to AA. They encouraged me to get a sponsor. And, you know, I would say from that point, the rest was history. I mean, it was not a very straight line from there, but that is sort of how it all kind of kind of took off. So, right. Been so I'm, pretty, I'm pretty distraught that I can't be a social crack user. I didn't ever do drugs. No, so. well, this is really news to me. I got to be honest. I mean, they've changed drugs around. People don't even really smoke crack anymore. I think it's a real shame. But uh, it is. You want to sure. hit your bottom. You want to hit your bottom fast. Smoke some crack. It'll get you. There. Smoke. Yeah, smoke some rock, man, from a can. I'll tell you, yeah. that will get you there quick. I did not stay sober from then. That was January 18th. My sobriety is May 18th. I didn't stay sober from then. There was a little bit of light huffing. Mm. Um, but, okay. but I would say that the um, I would say that the path was still there. You know, I've been on a yes. consistent path since then. I'm not like trying to justify the the the, the huffing. Mm. It sounds like you are. Yeah. No. <laughs> was it paint or was it air duster? I mean, that might we no, may. No, it was uh, it was whipped cream. Oh. I love huffing. God. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Rubber cement from elementary school. You ever try any of that? Well, Never rubber track cement. Here. <clears throat> I had a uh, glade dust off. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And um I was yeah. a work was a, I did I did work on people's houses for a while and you ever I went try this? A glade cleaning duster. No. Yeah, I did, that's I good did stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get him triggered. I'm more yeah. I'm curious about the 60 minute solution group, but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another, for another episode. We're glad you got sober and we're glad that you're here with us today. Shank, what's our topic? All right. Today, our topic is contempt prior to investigation. So this can be found on page 568 in the fourth edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And the big book attributes that Hmm. to Herbert Spencer. Wow. Contempt prior to investigation. You got any experience with that, Matt? Uh, I've been accused of being closed-minded before. (laughs) Have you? Yeah. You know, it's funny. The first thing that came to mind, and this isn't, I will circle back to A, but the first thing that came to mind was uh, when I was drinking and I had just, you know, uh, gotten into like all the classic records. I remember yeah. hearing, hearing Robert Plant's voice and thinking Led Zeppelin sucked. And I, was, <gasps> I hated, I hated any, like I hated people trying to explain to me why Led Zeppelin was good. And, and in my the podcast. No, but I had it in my head that they sucked. And then one day <laughs> I just listened to them in a more open-minded way. And they turned out to be one of my favorite bands ever, you know? And I mean, I was stubbornly opposed to them and, you know, turns out really loving them. And I, I, I think back to that, that's the first thing that came to mind. That's happened in a million other ways. But just to kind of circle back to my introductory five minutes, I mean, I was convinced I needed 
even though people were telling me AA work, people were telling me to go to meetings. I had been to like one or two meetings. I just figured that AA wasn't for me. I don't know why I thought that, right? Whatever idea I thought AA, like my my concept of who AA was for, I don't I don't remember what it was, but it just wasn't. I wasn't included in that. And I think back to that, and um, I just had this idea that AA wasn't for me, and turns out I was wrong. And I mean, I can just tell you there are a million times since then where. I get ideas in my head about what I think I need or what I think is best for me um, or what I think something is. And just so often I'm so wrong, but I mean, I approach pretty much everything with a closed mind. I'm not, I'm not saying that like, that's not what I aspire to be anymore, but that's just like, you know, Matt in, in this default setting, I, I approach everything as a skeptic. I approach everything as a, as a doubter. And, um, and I just, you know, I've, I have a closed mind. You know, mm-hmm. what I've found in AA, though, is that um, pain has a way of creating opportunities to open your mind. It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. Shank, you ever had any content prior to investigation? I have. Um, I, I really have. But I can't say that I knew exactly what those words together meant for for quite some time. Which I have learned is a part of contempt prior to investigation. Matt kind of nailed it, but it's an intellectual laziness to even be Hmm. open-minded to being convinced of something else or to even hear something else and be like, oh, you know what? Actually, that makes sense. Like, I may or may not agree with it, but okay. Um, I can relate to intellectual laziness, so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when, so the idea of content of prior investigation, I mean, when I got sober, it was kind of drilled into my mind to keep an open mind, right? I mean, it was like, you heard it a lot. And I mean, a couple of the guys that I was working with, I mean, they, they said it was one of the keys. Well, just like the reading, it was one of the keys to, to getting sober was keeping an open mind. And I, I mean, I was raised by skeptics. I mean, my, my parents were very skeptical of everything and, you know, you didn't believe anything. You, you just kind of, you know, doubted everything and didn't believe anything that you heard. And I kind of lived that way. And it's interesting when I, like when I got sober and went to my first day meeting and heard this guy speak, whatever that, that doubt and that skepticism and that, that closed mindedness was, it kind of disappeared for me just for like AA stuff, not for other things, <laughs> but like my mind opened up when I heard that first speaker and he, he, cause he, he did a lot of things that I'd done and he drank like I did and he felt like I did. Um, but yet he was different. And for some reason, my mind started to open up to like, now this dude was way worse than I was. I mean, he had done some, he was more than along, along the lines of shank. He had done some horrific uh, things and, uh, but yet he was sober and he had been sober, you know, for, for a number of years at the time and hearing stories of people and listening to people's, you know, sharing their experience really helped me to open my mind and to think that, you know, maybe this thing can work for me if it worked for them. The, uh, the interesting thing about this particular 
statement in the first, this is probably worthless information for, for some of you, but in the first edition of the big book, this was actually the beginning of somebody's story. The spiritual experience was not in the back of the book at this time. And there was a story in there called um, an artist concept. The guy's name was Ray Campbell. He got sober in February 38. And he started his story with that quote. And he, um, when they published the second edition, they took his story out of the book and they moved that, that statement to the back under the spiritual experience. Just a little history for you. The guy also designed that, that circus cover for the first edition. He was an artist and he actually designed that cover with the red and the yellow and the blue on it. So did he stay sober? Ray Campbell did not stay sober. Well, that's that's a, that's a, it's a proven. Yeah. Fact that he, uh, yeah, he did not stay sober, but he did write a cool story and he did provide us with a cool quote and he, he made the jacket to the book. Love it. He he still had a contribution. So something that I find interesting, both of you have been sober longer than me, is it seems that uh, in relation to contempt prior to investigation, that a lot of times we're quick to acknowledge that God will help us with our alcohol problem, with our drinking problem, um, but doubt that God can help in other problems. Other than that. So you get sober for me. I got sober. Alcohol was removed, Matt. Now I'm understanding why the rehab I was going to, there was a weak gap kept like calling and saying like, are you drinking? And I was like, no, of course not. You told me not to. So now I understand like why they were so concerned. I guess most people just have a big hurrah um, before going to rehab. That was not my case. (laughs) But, um, you know. I I had hit a bottom, I guess, so far that I just knew that I couldn't continue living the way I had been. Alcohol had to be removed, but I knew if I was going to just continue to live in this world, being incarcerated or not, I was going to have to turn myself over to God. I don't know that I knew those terms at that time, but I knew I could not continue doing anything that I had been doing before. So... I would like to hear from both of you. Do you have experience with not thinking you can turn things over or getting sober and having God just take away the alcohol? Or did you have some contempt prior to investigation relating to those things? Yeah, I mean, I think about current experience. um, That's actually something that I think about a lot with um, not so much that I have doubt that God could remove, uh, you know, harmful behaviors in sobriety, you know, I don't necessarily doubt it. Just sometimes I feel like I have a really tough time accessing that power in the same way. And I find it to be a little bit, um, maddening at times. Um, the advice, the advice Wayne gave me once was, well, Matt, one of these days, you're just going to have to grow up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that your Jay Wayne voice? I love it. It's a little, Incredible. it's a little more southern. His is a little bit more, a little bit more uh, subtle. But that was—I haven't tried it in a while. But I wasn't wrong, though, was I? 
no, you weren't wrong. You weren't wrong. But I do think, I do think that question is 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 something. I think it's perplexing, and I think it's people really um, really struggle with that. And um, I don't know that I have a great answer for it, except for it's something I relate to. Um, yeah, Jared. Well, it's 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 a good question. I mean, the best way I can answer it is that that a couple of experiences that I had first five years I was sober with, you know, stealing money from work sober and being in a, in a, I guess an unhealthy relationship would be a, a, a modern translation term to use nowadays. Um, and trying on my own power to, to, to fix those things or to, to, you know, to do something different. And, I don't think that I, you know, in my mind, I'm saying, Oh, I don't, I doubt God can help me or I don't think God can help me. Um, but that's what my actions showed. And I know that can kind of be a little, a little tricky, but the reality was is that because I didn't really believe in the power and because I operated out of fear, right. I, you know, I, I took money from work and I stayed in a relationship that wasn't all that good because I didn't think it was anything better for me. And I think that that it goes in line with this is that, you know, intellectually, I can say that I think God's going to help me, but deep down, I, I really don't believe it. So I, I, I act out on my own will. I act out, out on fear. And so I, I like that, you know, it's, it's, it, it's now kind of overused in AA, I would say, but the, the paragraph there on page 52, where it says we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems, the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight. Of course it was. And then it says, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. So, I mean, it's just telling us that it sounds simple that we should stop doubting the power. I used to think that 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 was like a step six and seven problem. And I wouldn't argue with anybody. I, I used to, you know, I've, I've done daggone workshops and weekend things just on that stuff. But I, I realize now it was way more of a issue of step 10, 11, and 12. You mentioned it, Matt, about not being able to access the power. And that's all about step 11 and step 12 is that it tells us to ask for power. It tells us to ask for knowledge. And I think a lot of times I know what to do, but I lack the power to do it. And, you know, that I think I step, I think step six and seven are kind of activated. Or they come to life by us trying our best to practice 10, 11 and 12. And, you know, just and most importantly, trying to help other people. It seems like when we're trying to help other people, the selfishness and the fear and the humility or the selfishness and the fear are gone. There's a little humility there. Um, but today I believe God can help me with anything. 
that that power can. I, th I think sometimes finding the, the entry point uh, into accessing that power can be sometimes, I've found that to be sort of what trips me up a lot of the time. Like, like if you want to quit drinking, there's Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not the only solution, right? But it's certainly a solution that has proven for a long time to work, proven in the three of our lives. And there is a well-worn path that you can follow, right? But let's say you want to stop watching internet porn or you want to stop smoking or something like that. Sometimes, you know, with any kind of really tough problem that I've had, I have tried praying, but it hasn't always worked, you know? And, and, and like you were just saying, I mean, you have to follow it up with action, but I think that sometimes it, AA is, is very concrete. Sometimes for us beyond that is a little bit more uh, harder to see, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, there was a brief, this is kind of diversion. There was a brief moment years ago when I was going to quit smoking and everyone had started vaping, but it was when the vapes were like super huge and you had to change the coils and do all this crazy stuff to yes. it. Yes. And I was like, yeah, this is not for me. Like I tried it and I was like, God, this is terrible. Um, and my sponsor was just like, well, just quit like pure abstinence, work the steps on your smoking, ask God to take it away, admit that you have a problem. And it seemed like it was very simple. It seemed like that can't be how this is going to happen. I don't know. Um, and, but that's what I did. Yeah. That you know, and, and so it was just very interesting to realize that I can ask God to help me through the steps with any issue. And I don't have to muck it up or try to set it on a calendar and write in my diary about, well, this is Dave 13 without a cigarette or post it on Facebook. The same way, I don't have to do that about my sobriety. <laughs> right. You know, I don't have to post a chip on Facebook and be like, I have this long sober. Isn't everyone so happy for me? It's hard to describe that to somebody that's in the middle of of something, but I mean, that's exactly right. When I finally quit stealing, one day I just made a different decision. <laughs> I didn't steal. I stopped stealing. And, yeah. And, but it was a combination of getting honest and praying and, you know, internally wanting something different. You know, when I got out of the bad relationship, one, one morning I woke up and got guidance from somebody and I made a different decision. And that started the path. And I think that's the point to where you – you, I'm, I've started practicing faith. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it, but that's, I mean, that's what that was. Um, well, kind of in relation to that, you know, when you talk about contempt prior to investigation, and I think that maybe Matt touched on this a little bit, but um, like this knowledge of knowing what you're doing. So in a way, it's almost saying like, do not be close minded or intellectually lazy and I know several people who need or want to understand the steps completely before they take them. You know, that was not my experience. My experience was just kind of like I was going to prison. I didn't know when or for how long. I knew I needed this. I finally got honest and I just did whatever was asked of me. I'm not saying I did it perfectly. I'm not saying I didn't run my mouth. Um, I should probably 
pray about my language and my mouth, you know, but uh, that probably needs some changing. But, um, you know, I had just hit that that point where I was willing to do anything and not that I've stayed that willing about every issue in my life over the past 10 years. But um, I didn't have that experience of of trying to understand what I was doing before I did it. So how do you kind of wrestle with that in your mind of like, okay, well, we're telling you don't be intellectually lazy, be open-minded, but just go ahead and do all the stuff we're telling you to do. It's going to work. <laughs> Matt? Um, you, you understand everything before you did it? No, no. And honestly, sometimes I don't quite understand it after having done it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always think about it like this, like when you try to explain to someone like a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening, right? Or you try to explain to someone what the steps have done in your life, right? I think we have general ways of explaining it. You know, the promises are a pretty good way of explaining it. But there are some things that really aren't, you really can't adequately explain. You know, there really is no, like I can say, my life has changed as a result of AA or as a result of taking the steps. But I mean, if you really think about that, it's such an inadequate way of describing what happened. I mean, I, I don't have a better way of saying it, but like it, there's really just some things are just meant to be experienced. You know, all I can say is that AA works. It worked for me and I was hopeless and now I'm not. And, you know, I took the steps and, you know, I can, I can sometimes give answers that I think might satisfy intellectual curiosity, but, some of the stuff is just meant to be experienced. There's just no way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me, if I, if, I mean, luckily no one gave me the opportunity to sit around and think about stuff. I mean, I was like immediately thrown into a solution and the idea of, if you're going to hang out here, you're going to have to help somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, yeah. I mean, I, I was not given the opportunity to think about things or I, matter of fact, I told, I was told that like trying to have knowledge and understanding just prolongs the sickness that the longer you sit around trying to understand the steps or understand God, or, you know, have some knowledge of, of the book or the steps that that's, it's counterproductive and that you, you really can't understand something until you do it. Mm-hmm. I've had a sponsee recently, someone I've been trying to help that um, I, I've gotten really twisted in my mind about it because she has tried to dissect my experience when I was getting sober and let me know what exactly was going on with me. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that what was going on? It could be. I don't know. Like, that kind of sounds right, but I'm not sure. And then I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> we're talking about your third step here. Like, why are you right. dissecting what's going on with me? Um, so that's really, that's interesting. Um, I didn't understand certainly. And to Matt's point, I still sometimes I'm wondering like, how or why does this work? But I really, um, don't care how or why this works. Yeah. <laughs> it just does. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, but our, um, our lives are proof that it does. Yes. One well, also Matt brought up a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening. So I believe I have brought this up in a previous podcast. I am going to bring it up again. I'll probably bring it up probably every season, I would imagine. Is there a difference 
between a spiritual awakening and a spiritual experience? I mean, I don't think so. Personally. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I don't think there is an A context. I mean, I'm trying to find the citation. Like, there's the way it's used in uh, in the big book makes me think that there really isn't that much of a difference. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there is. But I do think that, uh, you know, I mean, look, I don't know. Because, like, sometimes I'll go to meetings and I'll hear the spiritual experience will be, you know, that someone is feeling better or that they found a parking spot that that had eluded them up to that point. Yes. You know? And I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm not here to judge anyone else's spiritual or supernatural experience. I'm really not, but, but it doesn't seem to me that like, um, yeah, I mean, even the first sentence, the term spiritual experience and spiritual waking are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So, I mean, I think Bill was just trying not to be repetitive in his, in his usage of his words, but I don't know. That's my thought. What do you think? Be bought. Well, I, I don't think there's a, a bit of difference in them. And I know that I've, I mean, I've never argued with anybody. I've I've listened to other people kind of debate it with me, with me just not saying anything about it. But I don't. I think it's a worthless argument. Hundred um, percent. But yeah, but I don't think there's a bit of difference in either one. I mean that they both just mean that we're we're having a spiritual experience or we're having a spiritual awakening. I mean we're kind of we're we're awakening to to the truth and we're awakening to, to new experiences. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue. I, I just don't think there's a bit of difference. I, and it's probably like Matt said, it just didn't like using the same term twice. So I do find it interesting. This is another historic history fact that in the first edition, the 12th step used the term spiritual experience instead of spiritual awakening and it was changed because there were AA members that thought there was a difference that tale as old as time they thought they thought that the experience (laughs) they thought the term experience meant that you had like a a blinding light or burning bush type experience and that they you know felt like that was just not everybody had that experience so they change it to awakening. So if I'm um, going to play devil's advocate here, Jerry, let me, let me, let me play do, devil's advocate real quick. All right. Cause I just thought about this. So in the 12th step, when it says having had a spiritual awakening, right. As a result of these steps, I suppose you could make an argument. And again, I a hundred percent agree with you that this is not a, a core. This is, I'm happy to talk about it, but determining the answer to this sure. does not affect our sobriety one way or the other. Uh, yeah. This is, you know, to go back to the earlier question, this is not something you need to figure out before you take the steps. But but I suppose that you can have a spiritual experience without really having the same level of awakening that comes from taking the steps, right? Like you can have a spiritual experience while you're out there, you know, doing your thing. Um, I, if I was going to think of a difference, that would probably be it. Like we're having like a very key thing that's happening as a result of taking these steps. But I suppose you can have some kind of experience here and there that, whatever i mean i don't even know if i believe that that's just kind of what came to my mind well i'm sure that was the argument when they changed the term that that's mm-hmm. probably what some of the early a members were were kind of arguing that 
Yeah. But I mean, an experience, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean boom. Like right now experience can happen over time, just like awakening can happen over time. So uh, it just seems just kind of, kind of worthless to me, but I've got, I've got people I sponsor that love to tell you the difference between the two of them. I, okay. It sounds the same to me. Did any of them agree with me? Did any of them agree with what I just said? Uh, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I I got into a, uh, maybe years long argument with someone who helped me a lot, uh, about this. And I just kind of made an off the cuff comment. Like, nah, I, you know, I just, I don't know, maybe I have both, but it doesn't really matter to me and it was like a very distinct like oh no we have to figure out which was your experience and which was your awakening and um i don't know it just didn't seem relevant to me i don't care um maybe i've had both but matt to your point earlier you know in the context of aa maybe there's not a difference you know it tells us in that appendix two that they're used many times in this book and it shows the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. So cool. If you think there's a difference, that's great too. Yeah. Yeah. If you think there's a difference, email us mm-hmm. and tell us the difference between the two. I'd just be curious to to see what the difference is. And we may even read it on a future episode, but we would be curious to hear your uh, your thoughts on that. Hey, listen, I'm not, I don't even, the appendix in the back of the big book, called spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. It should have never been put in there. I know that's going to sound radical to many of you. <laughs> I think you but like saying radical stuff. The, Just you throw it in there. It doesn't need to be explained. Well, the, obviously the, it does because we've just had this whole conversation about if there's a difference between an experience and an awakening. Dang on it, Shank. Okay. I, I, let, I, thought, I thought of one other thing on this too. Let it stay. What you got? All right. So in theory, an awakening is probably something that would only happen once, right? Like you'd have to fall asleep again in order to be awoken again, if that makes sense. Like once you're awake, you're awake, right? So in theory, an experience could be something you could have 20, 30 times a day. So that would be my only other thought about it. But I really do just, I genuinely well, think so- you, I think it's just a word choice thing personally, but. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, now you got me thinking about it. Maybe, maybe, uh, huh? <laughs> maybe there is a difference. More will be revealed. Guys. It's probably not worth it. Right huh? Let's yeah. see what they say. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a plain language translation for both of those terms. Well, that would be a great, that would be an, that could potentially answer our questions. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, here's one thing we know is that keeping an open mind is a good idea in Alcoholics Anonymous. Absolutely. Trying to lay aside old ideas for something new. It's probably a good idea. Are y'all ready for some big book shrapnel? Let's do it. What do you got for us? All right. So big book shrapnel are sayings taken directly from the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So our big book shrapnel number one is Czar of the Heavens. 
And this comes from page 12. And it says, despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I didn't like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. Czar of the heavens. What does that mean, Shane? You got any... Well, okay. So... In a metaphorical representation, it would be an authoritarian concept of God or a deity. Um, So just like a supreme ruler, absolute control, um, authority over whatever realm or universe they may preside over. So I think that the term is used kind of to express resistance or discomfort with the idea of like this deity that's characterized by strict power. Hmm. So a czar of the heavens is in this paragraph, at least, um, is more of a Matt. negative to the writer. Okay. Matt, how does that term czar of the heavens make you feel? Yeah, I, mean, I thought it was Caesar of the heavens, the way it's, you know, I don't know, but... Is it Caesar? <laughs> no, I'm te- it is Zarbus. Well, you got all those... Hey, you're the educated one on yeah, this That's pod, right. We're going to take so, your right. word for it. So, I you mean, all I those don't know. Like, I, my, I guess I think of it like... So, he uses these kind of like um, really like huggable, fluffy kind of ways to describe God, uh, creative intelligence, universal mind, spirit of nature... You know, spirit of nature is very tree hugger kind of happy. <laughs> and then you have Czar of the Heavens. And Czar, I'm pretty sure, is like a Russian dictator. Or like, mm-hmm. an, like an old school one. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I don't right. think they have those anymore. But um, so I, I guess he's just thinking of it as like a, a God personal to me, like a, like, a, like a huggable, lovable God versus like, um, you know, wrath of God, Czar of the Heavens. You know, and it was back during the Soviet Union too. So I'm guessing there was a little bit of, this was this predates the Cold War, but you know, still, I don't think right. we were with the Soviet Union back then. So maybe the bill was—he was also in World War One. So I don't know. Maybe he was just thinking, you know, I hate those Russians. Right. It could be Czar mm-hmm. of the Heavens. I like it. Caesar, I guess- huh? He said Czar instead of dictator, but I don't know. Maybe that's—we're we're coming at this many years later. Yeah. True. Hmm. I might have to think through Caesar of the heavens. I don't think that. I think it's czar. But <laughs> but Caesar would work too. It would just be a Roman, a Roman it, of the it, Roman. It, it would work. That might be a, a potential translation for. It could be. For um, you could say a Caesar of the heavens. Caesar. And also, Caesar. Uh, heavens, heavens is capitalized too. I know that's been a, a recurring theme. Yes. And yes. And so in this paragraph, actually, anytime that it's speaking of something like a higher power, it is capitalized. So creative intelligence, the C and the I are capitalized. Universal mind, the U and the M. 
etc cetera, etc cetera in this paragraph so yeah yeah now that i'm thinking through all that i guess i resist the thought of a czar of the heavens as well mm-hmm. because that would imply that right he's like the puppet master and oh my god the God made it rain today. The czar of the heavens made it rain today so I could slow down. Mm-hmm. Oh, I went to Walmart and it was so busy and a parking spot just opened up for me right there at the front. Oh my goodness. My kid got approved for college tuition assistance. God is so good to us. The czar of the heavens came down and made all that happen. What do you and think my, my favorite one is? All of, all of my charges and went away. Yep. I just prayed to that czar. Mm-hmm. I'm getting off track, wonder, but huh? I wonder too if there's like the if there's like the um, like czar. I would think of it being more like a transactional god. Like as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, God will be rewarding me in, a, in with the yeah. bounty. And yes. as soon as I run afoul, you know, God is you know bringing you know, famine and pestilence upon me and my family, you know, I think, like, I think maybe he's thinking about it like that too. Like a, like a wicked punishing God that like I have to suck up to in order to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably right. I so like czar of the heavens. I think it is very fitting for this paragraph. I think it's, I think it's just right on the money. What do you think, Matt? Keep it or translate? I think we should keep it. I do too. All right. Shank, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it. All right, what do you got next? So our next um, big book shrapnel is These Bedevilments, which is from page 52. And it says, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. So, um, bedevilments. What do y'all think? Do we know what that means? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. What do you got, Matt? Hook us up, Matt. I'm. So, what's the? What would be the? What would be the? The problem with this? That people just don't know what bedevilments means. It's it's not a term. Yeah, it could be. That's just not a term that's widely used nowadays. Okay. I mean, honestly. Just for the record, this is one of the most uh, impactful paragraphs, I think, in the book. And mm-hmm. and I think if you're sponsoring someone or working with anyone who is going through a tough time in any way, I would say 90% of the time you can probably direct them to this and it would probably help them orient them to where they need to go with their problem. But, um, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with learning new words. I mean, you know, looking something up in the dictionary is pretty easy. I mean, you can just Google it. Well, not everyone has access to Google at all times, Matt. Well, they should get an, they should get an iPhone. Well, they you may can't. not have access to an iPhone, Matt. Well, do they have access to books? Potentially. Well, but they, not always. They can look in the dictionary. Well, and that is, is not, that is not the reason uh, that we discuss kind of translating it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's more of learning what these things mean. I was able to stay sober. I couldn't have a dictionary for a period of time. And honestly, if I read that and didn't know what bedevilments meant, I would just continue moving on. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to drink. And I would just go to areas in the book that I did understand what it meant. So it's not to say that you can't get or stay sober if you don't understand what this is saying. Yeah. Particularly. So, well, so what is a bedevilment? Is it? Fun- it's a fundamental challenge. Yeah, I mean, if you so this referring to this list, and this list is all things that are negative. I mean, it mm-hmm. kind of in context, it sort of makes sense. Sure. Gotcha. So I'm having challenges with personal relationships. Yes. Right. I'm having difficulty with controlling my emotional nature. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm afflicted with misery and depression. Absolutely. Why didn't it just say that? <laughs> Instead of using the bedevilments. I thought be- I thought bedevilments was like something out of the Bible. It's not, huh? Hey, don't let me... I know I'm a big book or the Bible belt old-timer, but don't let me put words in your mouth. If it's I, think not, pro- I think probably it is from the Bible, which I'm is look- most likely why I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty... It's kind of one of those things that you, when you read it, you kind of understand what it's saying. When it says yeah. bedevilment, that it's referring to those things, and they're probably things that cause you problems. Well, and I think that my point is more of, you know, when I first got to AA, there were a lot of things that I didn't understand. There were a lot of things that I just couldn't pull forward in my mind of like, I kind of know what this means. I don't know. I'm in legal trouble. I have all of these things going on. I've never been in trouble in my life. I've only been drinking for five years. Now I know I'm an alcoholic. Now I'm I'm going to prison for some period of time that is unknown to me. I read something like this and I don't think that it was specifically this paragraph, but even if I could not through context clues, understand exactly what, you know, was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see new real newsreels of lunar flight, you know, like I just, for me, it was not critically important to understand that in its full context at the time. It just wasn't. I continued reading and when it said, I think that the directions in the big book are very clear. It says, we ask God, okay, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to figure out what a higher power is. I'm going to write a list. I'm going to clean up the past. Um, someone is going to help me do this. You know, I think when it comes to the instructions, it is very clear. So, you know, the the bedevilments, whatever. Now I can read that and understand completely what it's saying. But at that time, maybe not. So the real translation maybe should be get rid of news reels of lunar flight. <laughs> <laughs> could potentially get rid of that's, those those mind whammies, you know? That's horse and buggy stuff there. That's horse and buggy stuff. Oh my goodness. So what's a translation of bedevilments? Um, well, you know, a translation there there aren't too many great ones that I could come up with. Maybe your Mac could help out with that, but maybe like your journey funks. You know, journey funk. Got to get rid of that journey funk. You know, what I, I mean? like journey. 
journey、um, funk. Everything, everything's such a journey. Recovery's a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. God, that's so overused. But journey funk is pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think I'm gonna stick with bedevilments, Matt. Journey funk is pretty good, but I feel like you're just gonna have to translate it to get in another, you know, couple decades. So I think might as well just stick with the devilments. Hey, that is、yeah. a great point that we've been trying to get a guest up until this point to kind of draw the line from A to B. Yep. As I even if we translate all of this at some point, it will be need to be translated again anyway. Right. Matter of fact. The, what we're tra- what they're going to translate might actually be back in style in a co- in a couple decades. <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. Shane, you, what are we doing? We keeping bedevilments? We're keeping bedevilments.、Right. All right. What you got next? Okay, so the last big book shrapnel is fell off like a ski jump. This is from page seven. And it says, but it was not for the frightful day came again. Came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish. The curtain, it seemed to me.、Mm-hmm. So the curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. I don't know, Matt. What do you think about that one? I mean, grammatically, it's a real mess. <laughs> real mess.、Mm-hmm. Like ski, do ski jumps fall off? I mean, I guess they have an end. But know, man, the, aside, you... yeah, setting aside the simile for a second, just saying like I don't know that ski jumps necessarily fall off. Like, do we fall off of the ski jump? Why am I just sitting on the edge of it, waiting to fall off? Like, I don't know. It just seems really, really. It seems really weird. But I'm not much of a skier, so I don't know. Maybe you got to. Maybe someone who skis or snowboards, they, this would make a lot more sense to them. But you are a writer, and so this is wrong, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> the way it's written, it just sounds like the ski jump itself is the thing that's falling off. Uh huh. It does. Yeah. So grammatically, it's a little bit of a mess. But Bill was such a great writer. <laughs> he was. Uh, he was masterful. I used to think that, and then I'm joking. No, but it's like Bill was. Bill is exceptional at、uh, making an argument,、uh, conveying conveying his point. I really do think he's exceptional at that. Some of、sure. his some of his sentences、uh, and his imagery sometimes is a little bit a little bit wanting. But yeah, but he actually. I mean, he's not a masterful writer, but he was really good at getting his point across. Masterful、yeah. at that. Yeah, especially for a dude that was sober just a few years and didn't have any experience at writing. I mean, it's not—it's not a bad deal, but、yeah. fell off like a ski jump. So I'm get—I'm—I'm I'm assuming that it is moral and bodily health just kind of declined quickly. I'm, I'm assuming that's what that means. So the、um, the best that I could come up with on this one, I am not a skier or a snowboarder. Um. The sentence structure was bothersome to me, also. But、um, what I could kind of come up with that if you're a skier on a ski jump, you experience a sharp downward trajectory. So something that falls off like a ski jump would experience a steep and rapid decline. 
Hmm. That's about all I have. Well, I think all the th- all three of us probably have our own experience with our lives falling off like a ski jump or declining quickly. Um, but I'm I'm calling. What's a good translation for this one, Shane? All right. You, you got you got any translations for it? Well, I do. <laughs> Let's see what you got. Okay, so we could say uh, crashed and burned. Crashed and burned. Maybe a little more understandable. We may need to change it to like an airplane situation, but we could have the curve of my declining moral and bodily health crashed and burned. Matt would support that sentence structure a little more. Or it's not not bad. We could have the curve of my declining moral and bodily health took a nosedive. You like either one of those, Matt? Took a nosedive. I feel like I'm not a, although I'm, I'm not a pilot, so took a nosedive seems like um, for the non-pilots out there might be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also just say my health declined, which would which would save declined rapidly. It's too simple. <laughs> it is too simple. Also, it ski jump is hyphenated. We didn't get into that. But that's actually I'm not sure why it's hyphenated, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd what? say just keep it. I mean, you know, I don't know. Why is it hyphenated? I don't know. He's trying to make it into one word, but I don't think it is one word. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health declined drastically. That would work. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Fell off like a ski jump is so dramatic. It is. Oh, it just. Oh it's, man! It fits. Even, it just sounds like that must be really bad. Yep. <laughs> but also, I mean, so if we're now that I'm going into the rest of the sentence, I mean, the curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a sea jump. I mean, he just said it's declining. So why is he why, it's declining more? I mean, mm. this really is a mess. I will say, though, that as much as as many problems as I have with this sentence, I never noticed it until now. Right. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes. I'll never read it again. <laughs> Uh, the curve. What is that's interesting? So he could just be like, I got sick, bro. He could see that's the exact point. He the whole sentence. I got sick, yeah. bro. I got sick as a I dog, got real bro. Sick dog. Is a dog sick? <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so much. That's so funny. Well, what would be a completely new word for it, Shane? You know, so if we were, um, we were going to make something up, what would it be? I to, don't know. To specifically for ski jump. Okay, well, maybe like a slope plunge. Wow. Huh? Slope, a slope plunge. plunge. One yeah. word. One word. Like so we eliminate slope. the hyphen. Uh-huh. A ski jump. We have a slope plunge. Just one word, no hyphen. Just... So Matt, why not slip yeah. plunge? Why not create a new word for it? How about that slip plunge? Well, I do like creating new words. Slip plunge is very good. It does plunge always has kind of like a weird connotation, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess it does sort of work. I mean, his life is going in the is going in the thing that you have to plunge. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's like a double entendre. Uh, I don't know. I'd say keep it though. Listen, 
What do you think, Jay Wayne? You gonna keep it? I think we should keep ski jump. Fell off like a ski jump. We're gonna keep, keep it. it. We keep can it dissect jump. this until the cows come home, honey. Yeah. But you know, let's keep it. Reality is the book is perfect the way it was, divinely inspired. Now, when I was new, when I was new, I just remember that they had. There was a there was a movement to remove, I think, eleven erroneous commas from Dr. Bob Schneider. <laughs> nice. Oh my goodness. It's amazing what we come up with. Yeah. yeah. To think about all the lives lost because of those commas. People have died. For people sure. So many people. A yeah. rogue comma really sets me off. Hey, well, listen, no one can say that we have uh, practiced contempt prior to investigation with the big book shrapnel. We have thoroughly kept an open mind and Mm -hmm. analyzed these sayings from the big book and have even come up with new words. But we go back to it's probably pretty good just the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And if it's practiced as a way of life can not only help you stay sober, but um it can help you to be free. Matt, we appreciate you coming on. Appreciate your comments and uh, your insight into things. Think about slope plunge. We still might. There's still time to <laughs> translate that. Um, but if you're listening, we appreciate you being here. And remember, be free. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode. <laughs>